she showed a poster from the radio station that was like what a DJ really is and then she sort of just like went on this little riff about how a DJ is somebody who can really mix and she was like and I don't mean just music I mean like it's like a lot of different people in the room talking to one another who maybe wouldn't be otherwise. Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Eric Klein. I'm Jennifer Waits. And today we have an episode that is all about the sound and the love of radio. We're talking about a very special exhibit that's taking place now in Brooklyn, New York at a place called the Interference Archive. The exhibit is called Resistance Radio, the People's Airwaves. I was really excited to hear about this project that's not only a physical exhibit in the Interference Archive, but they're also doing a series of events all about how radio has been used as a way for activism. And I'm not sure if I've heard of an exhibit about radio that had that specific theme before. And I think it's a really intriguing way to look at radio and touches on a lot of things we've actually talked about on Radio Survivor before. It was was very much uh, a, a subject that is close to Radio Survivor's heart. One of my favorite things about the way they organized their work was that they didn't draw lines between Uh, the types of radio, community radio, unlicensed radio, also known as pirate radio, internet radio, and podcasting, both the streaming kind and the on-demand kind. All of it is of a piece with this particular exhibit, and I'm I'm really excited to bring the interview with, with two of the organizers of the exhibit to Radio Survivor today. We're here on the line with Celia Easton Curler and Elena Levy, who were part of the organization team for Resistance Radio, The People's Airwaves, an exhibit taking place in Brooklyn, New York. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. I I wanted to start out and, and ask about the name of the exhibit, Resistance Radio, The People's Airwaves, and how you define resistance radio. Yeah, so I guess the first thing to say is that like we're not trying to think of resistance radio as like a genre of radio, but we were thinking about radio stations to include in the exhibition, specifically radio stations uh, that focus on people and organizations that have like battled to bring defiant programming onto the airwaves, especially when those stations and actions were in service of grassroots movements or community organizing. So thinking about Uh, radio stations that serve the community that they are in, in a very direct way. And so that, just from taking a look at the online portion of your exhibit, that seems to encompass a wide variety of different types of radio stations. Mm -hmm. Maybe, Maybe you could just kind of give a brief overview of the types of, if people categorize radio, like community radio... And it seems like there's some community radio, there's some pirate radio. Are those the only categories of station or are there other categories beyond those two types? That's a good question. And actually, there was a time mm-hmm. in planning the show when we were having to distinguish, like, are we own or decide for ourselves, are we only going to focus on pirate radio? Like, is that what we want to talk about? Um, or like, what what's important to us about radio? Um, And we ended up opening it up really widely to anything that is really focusing on community um, because we were interested in like radio as a tool or a media and like how that's used in social movements, both practically and to like share voices. So in terms of other categories, um, I mean, I guess sort of like between there's like low power FM radio, which 
tends to be community radio, but is not necessarily a community radio station that's like municipal or citywide, right? So that's another small category. Yeah. Or or internet radio. Yeah. We were open to looking at podcasts too and audio, audio different audio media as well. Yeah, so like when you look down in like in South Africa, there are radio stations that started as like tape radio stations where people were just handing out like pre-recorded tapes to each other um because of like no access to the airwaves. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, that's I, we love to talk about that type of usage. I, I like the way you, you pointed out that it's more the use of radio versus the type of radio. And and we sort of think about it that way on Radio Survivor too, where yeah. you know, sometimes people don't have access to the airwaves. I, I think I think that it's time to, to mention Jennifer and my own favorite example of that where um was it I can't remember now which South African country it was that they were distributing the programming via CD to be played on oh, Zimbabwe you know, yeah Zimbabwe's uh and then w- were they actual buses or were they just like uh I don't I can't remember if they were the public transit system or if it was like a a, a much more grassroots private transit system that would you know that would give people rides and then play the CDs on the bus and those that was where that was how the community got its radio was from uh from cdrs on the bus amazing yeah also yeah for for us um because we're a community archive like i think it thinking about radio asks a really interesting question about archival um like how how radio is archived and it was interesting putting this show together to just receive a bunch of um cassette tapes from folks Mm. and that's like all that exists from these stations that we were researching Mm -hmm. um Tell us more about that, how how that came to be, how you came to receive tapes from people. Um, I mean, so we can talk a little bit about the process of putting the show together, but uh, each of us were responsible for focusing on different themes. We all, like all seven of us, all the seven organizers actually focused on one theme, um, and we can describe like how we put those themes together. And a lot of those the stations we were focusing on in those themes were have people that are still alive. And a lot of our research um, was done by talking to folks in different communities and learning who, you know, who was involved in, in different stations. And then many of them were like so excited and mm-hmm. sent us tons of materials. We were able to digitize some of the tapes that were sent to us, which is fantastic. So it's nice to also give back to folks who lent us materials. Yeah. Well, and maybe maybe before we get you know too deep into all the different themes, um, if you could give us a bit of an overview of what people will see at the exhibit. Yeah, totally. So when you walk in the door of the Interference Archive, you will see like a big text that sort of introduces the exhibit, um, and then we've broken up the walls into different the different themes, and people will see sort of like flyers and zines that are connected to different radio stations. So oftentimes that's like, um, you know, a poster advertising an event that's going to be a fundraiser or a poster advertising an action that the station's covering. And then also we have mounted on the walls different MP3 players and iPads that have recordings of um, some of the material that we've received. Nice. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And what what would you say is the overall goal when you were putting together the exhibit? What was the overall mission of it? 
I think we wanted to try to share as many voices and stories as possible from the stations we were researching. Um, we on per- we wanted to make it really clear that it's not an encyclopedia, you know, we're not like telling a history necessarily, but we're sharing a lot of as many case studies as humanly possible. Yeah, just like a big <laughs> smattering of examples <laughs> on the wall. It looks like a collage. We've also found at the archive that exhibitions look, I think, well, can look a lot better and stand out more when there's just a ton of material. Um, and so we have managed to do that. Yeah. But it was, it, it, like, going from our research to actually what material we want to put on the wall was um, a, a challenge and yeah. tough because we're talking about radio here and they're, like, sometimes it's really hard to find visual materials to represent some of the stations. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. So how did so you we, get around we did, that? We had to, so that was, I think, just over the past few months, a big conversation in how we'll go from the stations that are telling the story that, or the stations we want to provide a platform for, or, you know, share their stories and what have they produced that we can kind of print Mm -hmm. out and reproduce. Um, Or maybe they have some archival materials that we can share. So like old broadcasts, some stations, it was really hard to find material for. Yeah. I guess like an example is I um, worked on like the coalition of Immokalee workers in their radio station, Radio La Conciencia, and uh, we didn't really have anything from them, but we yeah, had that's a that's a, a farm lot. worker radio station down in South Florida where um, yeah that's a yeah special place exactly it's a really special place and so we didn't have any necessarily have very much material from them except for like a postcard um, about uh, when like a strike on a Wendy's um, right so that's not directly related to the radio station per se it's related to the coalition of of farm workers um but because those things are so connected it looks fine on the wall yeah it tells the story wow and i so okay this this is radio survivor and you're listening to the voices of two of the organizers of a exhibition called resistance radio the people's airwaves that's up Uh, and the Interference Archive in Brooklyn, New York. My name is Eric Klein. On the line also is Radio Survivor's Jennifer Waits. And Resistance Radio, the People's Airwaves, the the exhibition that we're talking about, includes the sounds of all of these, all of the radio, all the different kinds of radio, the internet radio, pirate radio, community radio, low-power FM that you collected. I just want to, I just want to have you... uh, Elena or Celia to just tell us again like what what is all this like how I can't even wrap my head around everything that we're about to talk about like tell us again like what this exhibition is all about that's such a big question um I think the exhibition is trying to highlight what we're seeing um as different ways radio has been used throughout history and today and potentially how we might be able to use radio in the future as a media um, to support the social movements and activism going on around um, the world and to support local community and local media. And on purpose, we didn't limit our... Like the reason you're... (laughs) What you've said basically that it's so expansive is um, we were trying to just kind of provide a sampling of different ways stations have done this and used yeah. radio um, so, and provide and provided a few case studies um, to be able to show that. 
So one of the things I think I'm excited about then about your exhibit is it sounds like it might be for some people entering the room at the at the Interference Archive. Uh, for for some people who are in the audience, uh, they might not know they might not know anything about the history of mm-hmm. community radio, the history of resistance radio. Um, who who is your intended audience for this for this exhibit? So like an easy way to answer that question is. It's anybody who walks through the door of the Interference Archive. Um, and the Interference Archive is open to the public Thursday through Sunday um, from like about 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. The people who enter are a pretty like expansive group of people um, from like parents and their kids going on like a weekend walk to academic researchers who are visiting New York um, and coming through because they've heard of the archive um, to uh, people who are activists who are doing agitation propaganda parties at the archive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if we really thought about audience in terms of reaching people in radio directly, at least not at first. Like when we first started playing the ex- exhibition, it was a lot more geared at like being an, uh, within the archive. Um, and then I think as we began to make contact with people especially in terms of like having events like we had an event with the people who founded radio cpr in dc and it was at the event that event that i was like oh my gosh this is like an exciting place for these people to be like they're so excited to be here yeah um and so like in that sense i understand that our audience is people who have been or are still involved in um resistance radio yeah i i was gonna say and so just even through our research, like the audience really quickly shifted to like wanting to represent these stations as properly as possible. Yeah. And like uh, most the the section of the exhibition I worked on, this is Elena, um, was about radio stations connected to squats and squatting oh. culture. Um, and like it was so important for me that the people that I was talking to and researching um, felt good about the content and materials that I was using and how I was writing about them. And so like very quickly, the audience was them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, many of the the stations based in the station based in New York that I focused that that was one of my the stations I focused on steal this radio. So many folks from the station showed up and brought extra materials and were there till the end of the till the closing of the opening, like going through all of their old print materials from their time um, yeah, as a radio really broadcaster. Sweet. So like, <laughs> That's really um, it kind of is giving it was kind of like giving space for to recognize the, all the work they had done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us a little bit more about Steal This Radio then. Tell tell people in the Radio Survivor audience who maybe aren't familiar with with what is what would be a squatter radio station. Yeah. So what I think is really interesting about radio stations that I was looking at connected to squats is like it's the same philosophy and ethos as like why someone might decide to squat as why someone might decide to start broadcasting and sharing um, stories and people's voices through radio, Um, you know, in the same way that there's like housing and space that isn't used and you can occupy it and live there. Um, there are all the, you know, there's radio waves that, sh- that should be available to the public and should be used. Um, and I thought that was one of the more interesting moments when I was seeing those things going so hand in hand. And then also, again, I think this will come up in other exam- stations examples is radio really being like a practical tool for sharing information and mm-hmm. connecting, especially at a time when the internet wasn't, you know, didn't exist. 
um, and radio was such an easy way to share information. Um, so when um, what when was Steal This Radio in existence? In the nineties. Oh my gosh, I can give you exact dates. I just need to pull them up. But I think it. Oh, that's okay. Stopped and ended in ninety six. They through a court case with the FCC, um, but they were actually they started out uh, in uh, the East Village in Alphabet City from a squat. And they actually, for a few years, were a roaming station where they would just broadcast every night or maybe a few nights a week just from different squats around the East Village. Yeah. Um, and they eventually like settled down um, in one location for a longer period of time. But um, I I mean, the folks that I spoke to from that, that were... Uh, broadcasters on that station had they had so many different kinds of shows and it was really about sharing information with um with each other and having you know big dance parties and playing loud disco music and mm-hmm. I'd had a nice conversation um with one of the broadcasters who had a, dis, a like disco dance show about why that was really important and like connected to the movement and also they became a really important source of news for when there was threat of raids um, the stations were broadcasting information so that people could know what was happening and you know how to stay safe. Wow, that sounds like a really interesting station. So that was a pirate station, uh, and it sounds like it eventually got shut down. Uh, how, and how did and you... what's interesting about the way it got shut down is um, while they lost their case, eventually after the case, uh, the their court case. Uh, there were regulations created for how to start a micro broadcasting station right. and like the micro broadcasting license, you know, there was a legal license for small broadcasting. So um, some of the folks there said like, you know, it stinks what happened to us, but also like there was a, a step forward in, in what we were that's, wanting, wanting that's to very accomplish. Exciting. Yeah. That's, that's a, re- that's a concrete example of uh, the, something we've been repeating every week here on Radio Survivor that, that in the 1990s, um, certain social movements that were pushing for, for all sorts of, uh, uh, all sorts of reasons, also were, were were part of the low power FM movement that that came out of, came out of the late 90s in the in the early aughts. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're on the line with Celia Easton Curler and Elena Levy of a group of people that put together an exhibit that is currently up uh, this it's up now it's been up since July 11th in Brooklyn New York at the interference archive it will still be up uh, until the end of uh, September of 2019 and the name of the exhibit is resistance radio the people's airwaves maybe you guys can talk a little bit about interference archive and what that's all about because it sounds like that is really important to the story of this exhibit too yeah, so the archive is a social space that is an OpenStax archive in Brooklyn, New York. Um, it's an all-volunteer-run archive of social movement material. It was founded in the early 2000s by, I'm going to botch this up, but like, but basically just like two artists who were also people who had large collections of other people's art um, and like political artists. And so they were like wanting to share that collection with people and also sort of questioning that archives tend to have closed doors. Um, People who enter archives tend to have affiliations with universities or large institutions. And so just thinking about like where we, like where memory storage 
yeah. who gets access to the places of memory storage. And also thinking about how our movements, uh, yeah, need to have, we need to have strong memories <laughs> in order to move forward. So that's very exciting that's, in, in, in the scene through the lens of the exhibit that you put together, uh, yeah. for resistance radio, since all of these, um, you, it's made up of sounds. It's made up of all the sounds of these stations, as many as I, you could gather, it sounds like, that are then mm -hmm. out out in, out in, on the walls, out on tables with headphones plugged into devices that people can listen. Um, how, much, how much sound did you make available in this exhibit? Probably, like, at least 10 hours. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Not, not, not so much that it's impossible to wrap your head around. No, but like also like for example, um, on the wall, like one of the things that I have is just like the internet radio of Radio La Conciencia playing, which is sort of like endless, right? Because it's just like mm -hmm. a live stream. Okay. Um, but yeah. And what's and is that the? Yeah, the, I think we we tried to just show samples because it would be really hard for someone to sit and listen for hours and hours. But but. You, like I shared, <laughs> I have in the section that I worked on about squatting, um, maybe there's like an hour and a half to two hours of radio. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty selective just for, yeah. <laughs> but there's more. If anyone's interested, they could always come get in touch with us. Well, and you have an online component to the exhibit too. Maybe if you can talk a little bit about, you know, if folks can't make it to Brooklyn, can you listen to some of this material in the online exhibit? Yeah, so um, we have a live stream up, and which will stream the exhibition events. And then when those aren't streaming or when those aren't happening, it'll stream sort of like the audio interference podcast. We'll have links in the show notes to on today's episode of Radio Survivor online at radiosurvivor.com. This will be episode number 204, if I'm not mistaken, uh, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. And at the opening, we also had um, a friend of ours um, from who started a, a pirate station that is active, I think, just once every once a year um, for open studios in Gowanus, uh -huh. um, <laughs> Radio Free Gowanus. Um, <laughs> Mike, Mike Clamau, uh, he was there at the opening with his station and was broadcasting. So he was talking to folks who came and um, I think he's pretty fluid in what he talks, what he speaks with folks about, kind yeah. of just whatever people want to talk about and air. Um, but that was a really nice component to the opening. Yeah, he just does like little mini interviews with folks. Yeah. There was one other thing I wanted to go back and add to about just Interference Archive. Um, so I'm, we were, I think, basically um, following Occupy Wall Street, a bunch of mm -hmm. artists um, that are now part of the, that are part of the print collective Just Seeds. Um, and like a bunch of ra radical archivists and li librarians came together and kind of put the idea together of the archive. Um, and that's kind of what it evolved from. Um, but the structure of how we work, I think, is really important for how yeah. how we put together the show. <laughs> yeah. um, and it explains a lot about why it is so open and vast, I think. Um, and so we're a volunteer run organization. Um, there are no staff members, but we're still a 501c3. Um, and our working process is as like horizontal as it can be. So we um, like work through working groups, which just means like there are commissions. So like there's an admin commission and there's a staffing commission. Um, there's like uh, education working group. 
there's the audio working group, which is the working group that we both belong to. Um, and we should talk about that too on this interview because that's really where the show came from. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so one of the groups that is active at the archive is the audio working group, and that group produces the podcast um, that we've been doing now for four years, which is called Audio Interference. And it's really th- this exhibition really came from folks from working on the podcast. Um, the overlap there's like ninety percent overlap. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, t- in, t- tell in, us like, about your podcast members. then. Tell us about audio interference. What, what, um, what is it these days? Yeah. So yeah. after a few years of the inter- interference archive being active, um, we wanted to find new ways to reach folks and learn more about the materials that we're collecting in the archive that's supporting, um, you know, ephemera and mat- print materials from social movements. Right. Um, so we started a podcast that kind of was inspired from by like oral history and oral like thinking about that format mm-hmm. um, and started interviewing donors to the collect at Interference Archive, um, as well as activists and organizers and some of the founders of Interference Archive. Um, So it was just like another way to um, tell stories from the archive. Um, And at this point, we've produced over 60 episodes, uh, and they have spanned like so many different kinds of topics. (laughs) Celia and and I are both a part, are work on the podcast. That's exciting. Um, I I can't wait to tune in. So I'm assuming that what I'll hear is... um, you know, someone's handing over uh, a few boxes of the flyers from the social movements of of, of a time period uh, in decades past, and they tell you the stories of these. Yes, materials. something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I'm and so I'm from in. this group, good. Please do. Yeah, please do. We also we also um, some of the pro- the podcast episodes are syndicated to radio stations, a few radio stations. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another night cool way to tune in. And so have you had recent episodes about the Resistance Radio exhibit, too? We're working on them. They're coming. We've been busy working on the exhibit. So we have, <laughs> I we've know. Been, we've well, been tell, slacking in the it's, podcast. Well, it's a big undertaking. Plan. I think a good question to follow up then is you said that the podcast Audio Interference, which grew out of the audio working group at the Interference Archive, Interference Archive, again, for listeners, is a nonprofit where people uh, work together as volunteers to um, archive materials from social movements so okay you have this podcast you it, it comes out of a working group i'm just curious to ask like how does working on um your internet your serialized internet radio show working on your podcast grows into the um the exhibit that we're talking about today on radio survivor um why bring it from podcasting which is a nice place to reach an audience to um to a physical room which is your exhibit. What what do you gain by doing that work? So one thing I think that's important is after doing all of these edited podcast episodes and like planning them in advance and um, and like crafting them into a short segment, um, we became really interested in different ways of telling stories and different ways of using audio as a media, you know, like audio content as a media um, and kind of shifted more into like what live radio means and looks like. And that also emerged out of a workshop a lot of us, some of us did at Union Docs a few years ago um, about community radio. Yeah. Um, And that's when I think it all kind of hit us like, oh, this is a whole other piece to, um, to audio 
you know, the, the different uses of audio that we haven't really explored um, and that we're really interested in. This it's yeah. a real it's a really nerdy uh, question, but here on Radio Survivor, I'm going to ask it. So, what what do you how did you what did you learn and teach me something about the difference between live radio and podcasting? Uh, why does it matter? Why make a distinction? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing which you got out a little bit um, is like the physical space. So, like you mentioned in our pre-interview, that you can podcast from your bed. Um, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a little harder One can. <laughs> to run a community radio station from your bed, um, mm-hmm. and that's something that I think we noticed across the board. And a lot of these stations were like very connected um, to the physical spaces that they were in. Um, so whether that's a squat or or a community of squats yeah. in the Lower East Side in New York, or um, or like a community center church in DC or like a farm in South Florida, just like thinking about how um, many of the like community radio, community radios are also community centers in a lot of aspects. And like, I don't know, I was really inspired by the, the women at CPR. One of them, this kind of goes back to the disco party thing. One of them was like, <laughs> just talking about how much fun they were having throwing these dance parties and these live shows. And she showed a poster from the radio station that was like, what a DJ really is. And then she sort of just like went on this little riff about how a DJ is somebody who can really mix. And she was like, and I don't mean just music. I mean, like gets Mm. like a lot of different people in the room talking to one another who maybe wouldn't be otherwise. Um, Mm. And I think like podcast, the word pod is like it's an insular word and um so that that sort of to me is why it's important um the live radio component of it is interesting and right. important because yeah. you're yeah because you're sharing a building with a group of people that don't necess- that wouldn't necessarily be the same group of people that you would um that you would choose for yourself and because of that because of that dynamic it's something that was in my past and is not currently in my in my present like that mixing is a is a challenge, and that that challenge is is worth is worth exploring to make radio together. Yeah, and, it's fascinating. Yeah, and also, um, and honest, I think this is kind of similar, but there's something really poetic in occupying airwaves yeah. um, that podcasting like doesn't have. Like that component doesn't really exist in the same way. Um, it it almost is like a physical. Yeah. Element. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, radio. especially when you talk about, like, the low power FM stations who, like, in order to figure out what exact uh, airwave they wanted to occupy, were, like, driving around, like, dialing on their uh, yeah. car stations. Like, okay, this is, like, a little fuzzy. Like, yeah. It's this like, is a little clear. It, it's, I mean, the metaphor that popped into my head just now is that, like, a podcast is like sending out a tweet, and even if your tweet goes viral, it's still a tweet. And a pirate radio signal is more like an occupation. It's you know, there's there's a difference between between uh, tweeting about Occupy Wall Street and occupying Wall Street. Totally. Yeah, it's it's definitely more of a radical act. Yeah. And as also when you're thinking about the platforms that podcasting goes through, like you're talking about you know what i don't apple and like all these big companies that you have to kind of like comply with i mean and that that exists 
Oh, oh, okay. I, well, sorry, talk to to, yeah, talk radio to us. Radio. Tell us what's up. <laughs> no, no. But um, and ra- I mean, radio has their th- similar things and like working, you know, having to be legal um, according to the FCC regulations. But um, there's something a little bit more tangible and that feels accessible to folks, and that really any you know anyone can do it, and that's a big part of mm-hmm. yeah. what we want to show. Since you since you brought up illegal and there are some pirate radio stations involved with the exhibit, I'm curious how you've navigated that if if anybody was reluctant to come out and, and speak publicly about pirate radio or, you know, or even doing a live pirate broadcast. I don't know if it was technically pirate or in that legal micro broadcasting um, part 15 place where, you know, you can legally broadcast without a license if it's to a very small area. Um, so how what were your conversations like about that about the illegal as- aspects of some of these stations? I when I when we first started meeting to talk about this show, I remember emailing um folks at Lumpen Radio in Chicago because that's a, one of the stations that we syndicate our podcast to. Um and that was the first thing they said like, you know, just beware I don't know if folks are really going to want to talk to you. Um, right. And I, now I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like folks were really open to speaking with us. Um, but also, you, it, it's hard to know how much censorship exists, right, when um, people are choosing not to talk. Or, I right, guess. yeah, like self-censorship, um, yeah. Yeah, self-censorship. Um, and I also had posted on um, one of the Google groups that exists for the radio community. And um, when I brought up the word pirate radio, I got some pushback from random people that I actually can't even remember what they were saying. Um, yeah, L- unlicensed broadcasting is, uh, um, yeah. you know, pirate radio is such like a, it punches. It's, you know, if you like words, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with the word pirate radio. But then, but then because it's so punchy, it's also been a punching bag, you know, for... For, for certain for certain mainstream news broadcasting elements sort of it conjures up so many words that for some people they'll never they'll never get over how they feel about it if they feel negatively um same thing if they love yeah, it though. And <laughs> it's a good yeah word. and also and also um it's not like every pirate station wanted to be a pirate station right. like they just wanted to use the airwaves yeah <laughs> you unlicensed know? broadcasting so, is, was a resistance in and of itself when the rules were so restrictive that they were not allowed to go on the air with their low power fm stations and you you mentioned that earlier mm-hmm. today on radio survivor we're speaking with uh celia easton curler and elena levy of the resistance radio the people's archive exhibit at interference archive which is up now in brooklyn new york until the end of september my name is eric klein and with me is jennifer waits so i'm kind of blown away um our colleague paul who who could not be with us today he counted that you had 66 stations featured in your exhibit which is amazing to me so i'm curious how you went about finding and choosing the stations that you ended up highlighting yeah, um, that's a good question. I think it goes back a little bit to this idea of like a working group and just like the fun and um, sort of having an idea with seven people and mm-hmm. then meeting once a month and coming back with research that you've researched and just like gabbing about it around a table. And um, I don't know, people like, I guess 
that's like the most concise answer I have is like we just we were researching and then sharing our research and encouraging each other and like I would get emails from folks who knew that I was researching something with like an article or two that would lead me somewhere um yeah tell us tell us about the tell us about the research that you were doing I know that um so you're you you two are here with us today on Radio Survivor and there are five other individuals in your group that aren't here with us so did you pick seven kinds of resistance radio yeah, so I think the way we started is just by going with whatever we all as individuals were interested in researching uh-huh. that connected to radio, that connected to pirate radio, unlicensed radio, <laughs> um, that connected to community radio um, and what that means for us. And from there, we started to look at all the stations we were compiling and thinking about it in terms of a few different themes. Um, it was It was really important for us to not have it be narrative in it like telling a history and to not have it be to to not have the exhibition be organized regionally as well which is why Um, i'm so excited about what themes you did choose since it was yeah yeah, so so, yeah so (laughs) then maybe we can list off all the themes to then like talk a little bit about them and i hope we don't miss anything yeah um but so there's labor and radio Mm -hmm. there's like squatting and radio Radio and war. Yeah. Radio and black liberation movements. Um, that's also looking at just like autonomy and activism general. around incarceration. Yeah. Yeah. And there's um, creating autonomy, which was kind of more of a vague category that we came up with to show a lot of different things about stations that are really creating their own voice, using the station to create their own voice. So it's not so much of, yeah, that's a broader. That's exciting. Well, what can we talk a little bit about? What is a, what, what, how does radio create autonomy? What did you guys find? Um, we can share a few examples. Um, Mm -hmm. the example I'm that I know the best that's in this, that section, neither, neither Celia or myself worked on that section so intensely, but, um, is Kichwa Hatari which is actually an internet radio station uh, based out of the, in the Bronx, founded by um, a bunch of folks who are Quechua speakers. They're all from Ecuador, and they use Quechua as, you know, the, one of the indigenous languages that people speak there um, and really try to activate the language through the station. Mm. Um, so they're trying to use the language in a really contemporary way. And they also use Spanish um, on the station, but really it's about Quechua. Um, and I think that is a really good ex- example of building autonomy and really trying to create and uh, one creating a the, like develop you know cultivating the community of Quechua speakers in New York because there are a ton of them of Quechua speakers in New York, um, and also creating kind of like a sense of global a global community for folks. And also it's a it's a tool to teach people Quechua. Mm-hmm. How exciting! Yeah, so they we, have like we'll have they have language lessons on. Um, on their uh, on their station, we'll have links to this uh, Quechua language web radio uh, station on radiosurvivor.com. Yeah, I'm always impressed and amazed, at, and we see this with low power FM stations too. That when you have stations in very hyper local communities, it's an opportunity to air programming in languages that you might not hear on on big commercial radio stations, and I. I just think that that's so cool. I love hearing about that. Yeah. 
Yeah, so really cultivating that culture in a, you know, on a small scale is important to fight against these like big corporate cultures. Yeah, I think that's honestly one of the most just thinking about um radio as a tool to cultivate autonomy, just the idea that like the the people who um I don't know, you think of like the reporter, the person who's like reporting the news on the radio um as like this position of authority and so just thinking about like who you decide um is worthy of deciding what's news or like what in what constitutes news or not yeah Um, and whose voice is the news which you know we know that there was a time and a place where only one kind of white dude's voice represents that authority yeah it wasn't so long ago yeah yeah so just really thinking about um, the ways in which we decide, yeah, what's news to us and neat. Did I interrupt? Have you? Were there, was there any more on the oh, list? Yeah, I was, of, g- uh, I was asked the same question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know we're doing this themes. in such a we're like getting distracted and, and yeah. as we're listing the themes, but there's also um, I'm actually we're gonna look it up right now because we're both we're both paranoid we're gonna forget someone leave oh, no leave problem. people out. We really had a hard time pinning down themes, and I think. Yeah. Thinking about, uh, yeah, not wanting to be narrative and then also not wanting to, like, um, set borders on things. It just, it just was, like, a difficult process. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it seems, like, related to to the topic at hand, too, of resistance radio and the people's airwaves and the types of stations that you're talking about and um, that it would be hard to kind of come up with themes, but... I like the themes that you've come up with. I, I know that there was one related to incarceration, and, and that's definitely something that we have been fascinated with on Radio Survivor, thinking about how radio is used in prison and by prisoners. So I was I was happy to see that that's part of the whole project, too. Yeah, and I wish the person who focuses focused on that um, topic, Kelly, was here to talk more about it. But... She got really in. We, yeah. <laughs> we would be happy um, to speak with Kelly about about prison radio and, and resistance to, to well, incarceration radio in a future, on a future episode. Yeah, we'll tell her. Yeah. So we, we can just... the themes. We'll, we'll, we'll list them off we'll together. We'll list off the themes and yeah. then can kind of go ready. in whatever so direction makes sense. We're about to hear uh, Celia Easton, Curler, and Elena Levy, uh, who put together an exhibit, Resistance Radio, The People's Airwaves, and they're about to list for us a few more of the um, ways in which they organized their their research to think about what kind of what kind of sounds what kind of internet radio podcasting unlicensed radio and community radio that is licensed what kind of stations and voices they were interested in grabbing building autonomy which we spoke about uh fighting for media reform mm-hmm. radio and prisons radio versus the state squatting and radio War and Revolution. And workers' rights movements and radio. Yeah. Wow. And I wish we had time to talk about every theme, but um, that's a that's definitely a cool taste of what the exhibit is all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there, there are stations, there are other themes we would have wanted to include, and this is kind of, yeah. <laughs> there are categories. It's not all inclusive. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. And again, the exhibit that we're talking about is up at the Interference Archive, which is a physical place in Brooklyn, New York. 
Um, it's been up since July 11th, and it will uh, continue to be available to the public uh, for free until the end of September of 2019, if you can make it. And if not, uh, you can go to the website where you can listen to some of the sounds of uh, these radios that your group put together. So I know that you also put together a zine, which we're at Radio Survivor, we're putting together our first zine right now. So I'm curious what the zine is all about for the exhibit. Yeah, so we wanted to sort of, um, I guess our walls are only so big at the exhibit. Um, and we also wanted to create material that people could take with them and share. Um, and then we also were thinking about how there's just so much, um, we were really interested in sort of like the different like mission statements and value statements, like the words that radio stations use to describe themselves and thought that that would look really good in a zine. Um, and so, uh, so we made a zine or Natalie helped us design a zine. Yeah. And so anybody coming to the exhibit, will they get a copy, their very own copy of the zine? Well, we have them available for suggested donation. We actually printed them on the risograph at the archive. Um, mm. So there was some labor and costs involved. So um, we, if someone really wants a zine and can't pay, it's like $3, we would give it to them. 100%. Like we're not trying to, yeah. yeah. We want to make it available. Um, but it is printed on a risograph. We spent days doing that. Yeah. And it looks really great. Um, and it's mostly quotes from stations and Do guys... radio broadcasters who... Um, that really resonated with us. And we actually have the zine on hand and thought it could be nice to read a few quotes. Yeah, we could share some. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'd love that. Cool. The ones I circled are stations that we spoke about together. Um, So I'll say this one, but I don't... uh, Community radio is about people. If there isn't an open door, then community radio isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. Radio waves were supposed to belong to the people... And I think that's the whole philosophy of community radio. It's part of the community and they take care of, trust, and support what's theirs. The very special bond that can exist between community radio and its listeners, I believe, is very difficult to achieve with other mediums. Who said it? Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I read it and didn't say it out loud. <laughs> it's Rosa Ramon um, from KDNA in Granger, Washington. Hmm. And I can share more. Um, it's it's a quote from a um, article, and I can send you the information about yeah, that. Yeah, please do. It's it's so exciting here on Radio Survivor. Um, every quote, every every name that you drop of a station somewhere is um, is an entire episode of the show in the future is something that we would love to focus on, so... Uh, we'll, but we'll let that. Know, your whole, we'll let that one drift. By. The whole exhibit is sort of a a, right. a rabbit hole for us to explore of stations, mm-hmm. and I can't wait to dig in more. Okay, you guys ready for one more quote? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is from Radio Alice, um, and it was this quote is from Valerio Minella. Any radio works to increase its listeners. A newspaper works to increase readers, etc. But with Alice, it becomes horizontal because its purpose is to increase the speakers, not the listeners, hmm. and raise a question. Who speaks to whom? So I guess that kind of speaks to this idea of like who constitutes or gets to decide what the news is. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that was actually like, that's a quote from an email that I had been a back and forth with um, one of the, the, you know, the person that responded to the general Radio Alice email address. And it was like such, yeah, it was such a beautiful (laughs) quote. And there's, I mean, the whole email was pretty beautiful, but. That's great. And what is Radio Alice again? So it's a station that was active, um, I think, in the seven, like seventies mm. in Italy. Um, I, th- I believe it started in Bologna, in in, re- in the Reggio Emilia region of Italy, which is like has the biggest concentration of co-ops in ah. Italy. Yeah, probably also in a lot of Europe. That the quote reminded me a lot of a station that we learned about on Radio Survivor. Oh, so long ago that I won't be able to pin it down. But there was a farm worker radio station in southern Oregon. And uh, it was it was part of the organizing arm of a farm workers union, and as much as as much as anything, it it was about developing leadership voices in the community, so that the I youth think... that were listening that it wasn't just for youth to listen to, but also youth to to speak <laughs> speak out on and and develop their own voices as leaders. Yeah, I think that's true about a lot of community radio stations. Is this aspect of like training and also just like giving space for people to yeah. speak um are you talking about there there's a radio station in woodburn oregon that i think um folks from prometheus radio helped set up yep. i don't know if... that's the one yeah yeah it must have been just incredibly powerful to research all these stations and then to to talk to people and and hear these really passionate comments and it's you're preaching to the choir here uh at radio survivor because we believe all those things about the power of radio. But, you know, for me, every time I talk to somebody about it, it just sort of reaffirms and gets me even more excited. So I, I would imagine it was just an incredibly fun project to work on. Yeah, it was really fun. And it was also really fun to hear what other folks in our group and our working group were researching. Because, um, you know, like I was in a deep dive <laughs> uh, into squatting history around the world and stations that had emerged from that or stations that were uh, had programming about squatting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, then, uh, you know, uh, Celia was really focused on radio stations around, um, labor movements. Um, and yeah, th- it just was really cool to hear what everyone else was learning. So, I mean, a lot of you dug into history. Why do you think it's so important to share this history with, with more people than, than just your working group? It's a good question. I think, in the age of mass media and uh, I don't know, like I open my computer and I read the news and I um, scroll through Instagram and I like come upon my news in like a pretty haphazard way Mm -hmm. besides like, yeah. And I, so I don't know. I just think uh, it's important. These stations are just like very amazing examples of, people utilizing radio. Um, yeah, radio is a tool in their movements. And I think that we're really used to media as like a form of entertainment. Um, ah. And so I, yeah, it's important to think of media as a tool as well as entertainment. And Yeah, the, so was, the, that, like, was that really eye-opening for you? Um, I would not say it was really eye-opening for me because... Uh, I exist within circles that understand media as a tool and not as entertainment or like understand the power of media. But um, 
it was just like really inspiring to see um, how much gets done with radio or how much has been done with radio. And also I think it's important to be looking at like I guess station looking at stations that existed in the past as a way to think about how the tool can continue to be used mm-hmm. now and in the future. Um, I think it, we were all probably we were all surprised to to hear um, stats about how many people are actually actively listening to the radio today and I think that stat is um, it sounds higher than it actually is because of like car time and people how much people yeah people are listening while they're driving um, and I guess one thing just to like bounce off of Elena is like we think about yeah we think about these things as being in the past and they totally are but there are people who like really bridge that divide so there's a man named Petri Dish who we've spoken with a bit um, during the planning of this exhibition and he does a lot of work helping people set up low power FM stations mm-hmm. um, and just for context so he um he co-founded a station um, called Radio Mutiny that was active in Philadelphia um, in again in the 90s um, so, like, and was closed, shut off from the FCC. But in response to being found by the FCC, he, they decided like, oh, let's share all our knowledge with, the, with, with as many people as possible. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> now that, that we're legal, we might as well go really public. Yeah. So um, so he started teaching folks and like they traveled the country and then... Um, and yeah, so so yeah, goes. so he helped set up uh, the radio station Woburn that's connected to the the farm workers movement you were talking about, and then yeah. he also helped set up the Coalition of Mockley Workers Radio Station. Um, I think back in two thousand seven, um, and so just thinking about how, yeah, often we think about like the past and the present as being like very separate entities, um, especially when you're talking about like resistance movements it's really easy to like think about occupy as being in the past um for example but like those things have tentacles that are very much like carrying us into the future in like very tangible ways like um low power fm stations popping up yeah and also so one other part of the we talked about this a little bit but another part of the exhibition um is we have a raspberry pi Mm-hmm. Uh, set up so we can do really small legal broadcasts. Um, it reaches maybe twenty feet. It like basically yeah. can broadcast within the archive space. Mm-hmm. It can broadcast how far you can hear. <laughs> so, it, but still, it's exciting. Yeah, it's so exciting. Um, and we also are hoping at the end of the run of the exhibition to donate those materials to a community group that wants to start broadcasting. Um, to yeah, to to folks within, the, <laughs> within yeah, the, distant, close within distances, distance. but um, just to kind of like use everything we've learned and all the like values and missions of these stations, and to practice that as well. Yeah, we've mm-hmm. we've talked a little bit about pirate radio, about unlicensed broadcasting, but one of the most amazing uses of the legal unlicensed broadcasting that's available, which goes under the the technical term of Part Fifteen, they taught me here on Radio Survivor, is that. Um, you can broadcast to people in a building legally and everyone in the building can tune into that station. And in a place like Brooklyn, New York, uh, there's a lot of people in a lot of buildings. So it's a, it's not a, it's not just an academic 
it's not just like a, a cute way to talk into nowhere. It's a it's a real way to communicate with a group of people. Well, yeah, and on a on a college campus, you can broadcast to the entire campus, which can be right. quite an extensive amount of space. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of power in uh, low power. It's so exciting. Yeah. Well, yeah. On that note, uh, Celia Easton Curler and Elena Levy of Resistance Radio, the People's Airwaves exhibit that's up at the Interference Archive. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Survivor to tell us to tell us about it. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank this you. This was so really fun. This is sweet. Yeah. Also yeah. helped me to like see the exhibition, like to think about some of the concepts in a new way. Yeah, we're digesting. Oh, good. Well, Ooh. I had a lot of fun. This I could have, um, uh, I could have used more of your time. Tell us a little bit about the Wikipedia Editathon for just for the podcast. I know audience. that's what I'm totally curious about. So this is part of a series that we've been doing for I believe years at the archive. Um, related to lots of different lots of the exhibitions that we have up so it's like a structure we've used for programming um where we get people together and update edipedia uh edipedia wikipedia (laughs) articles with information and so we're going to focus on some other radio stations that are highlighted in the exhibition and um, there are staff there that there are people folks at the archive or connected to the archive that kind of like help facilitate and like give and you know give you a starting place and teach you how to use Wikipedia. Also as an archive, I mean, as Celia mentioned earlier, we're an open stacks archive. So for us, like information is really available and we believe that information should be available and, f- and free and accessible. Um, left. And so the Wikipedia edit-a-thon is trying to add information out <laughs> into the, you know, into the world. And the exhibition also has a little library of books and articles and mm-hmm. zines about radio that we used in our research and that we wanted to make available to folks. Oh, wow. I really hope, I don't know if I can make it out to New York, but I really would love to come and check all of yeah. this out. You're getting me so excited about your project. <laughs> and please tell every single person you meet in, in and around this thing about our show and that uh, we'd love to have them on. Uh, totally, we will. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, this so was yeah, really fun. Petri dish uh, was a guest on Radio Survivor. Um, Amazing, and I can't find the date right now while we're on the him. line. Yeah, but uh, he was in Paul's kitchen uh, with with Sabrina Roach walking around in the background making tea. Um, He's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah that was, was a great. I think person. he I think he came on just to talk about the talk about the Woodburn Station. Um, which isn't even the most special. Oh, sorry. The most special pieces of the exhibition were brought the day of the opening by yeah. Petri Dish. Yeah. And they are old broadcasting equipment that he used to use. Um, at do, yeah. Yeah. So there's like, um, I think one of the best ones is uh, it's like a wired lunchbox that has, <laughs> yeah. that has a radio transmitter in it. And um, it says Radio Prometheus on it with a little like wire woven heart um just so you can have a radio and a purse yeah that's wonderful that's so great well thanks thanks for for joining us for this little podcast extra um thanks for having us thanks for having us say hi to everyone for us yeah yeah thanks so much well this was a really exciting episode of radio survivor to produce today because we are Uh, nearing the conclusion of a very special campaign that we've been mounting to raise a a certain amount of supporters 
on our Patreon campaign, we're looking for 100 individual people to give a monthly donation of a dollar or more, but you can start at a dollar. And we're actually having a really remarkable response of late uh, because we're getting the word out a little bit better and we're halfway there. And it would be really wonderful if we could uh, push through and complete that goal to get to 100 supporters. And um, what we're going to do... Yeah, we just have a few more days. Yeah. Just a few more days. What we're going to do with with all of that support is make significant plans to like actually use the the privilege of that of that cushion of having of knowing a certain amount of funding is coming in to make plans to really tell a very important story that we've been we've been uh nibbling around the edges today's episode of radio survivor was actually a remarkable plunge uh halfway in we went up all the way to our waist to the story of talking about how uh social movements in the 1990s were co-mingled were related to media justice uh activism that then led directly to uh the 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 work at the FCC and in Washington DC to uh, to get low power fm as a legal framework for radio stations to go on the air which then occurred in the 2000s and telling that story and getting it down as a um an oral history of sorts is something that radio survivor uh, plans to do if we can if we can reach this goal of 100 supporters to our Patreon campaign. You can find out more at patreon.com slash radio survivor or you can go uh, if you want to give a one-time donation or just uh, get a different link to that last URL, you can go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. And like like micro power radio, these are micro donations that you can make. <laughs> yeah. So really, you know, a dollar a month or if you do five dollars a month, then you get our zine. Right, hard Something at work. else we what? talked about on the episode was how cool zines are, and so we're making our very first zine. Yeah, and the everybody work... who donates at least five dollars a month gets our new zine. We're not just making it; the work is mostly completed. It's been really exciting to get, um, you know, RadioSurvivor.com, Matthew Lassar and Paul Reese Mandel, who aren't here with us right now, and you, Jennifer Waits. Uh, you guys write a lot on the web, uh, covering. Uh, covering the news, doing the blogging about uh, the world of radio that you love. Um, and we also work on this podcast every week. But like to get to like to think about to think about those feelings and those ideas and put them in uh, into paper, it's a different because it's a different form, uh, the ideas get to be expressed in a whole uh, different way. It's like a it's an opportunity to to explore our our radio brains in a new medium. And yeah, for $5 a month at our Patreon campaign, we will send you the zine. We're going to, it's going to be in the mail in a matter of weeks. Uh, I can promise that here on Radio Survivor. I'm not going to say the number of weeks, but it'll be, it'll be coming uh, very soon. And um, because our campaign is, is rounding, rounding up its work. So radiosurvivor.com slash support or patreon.com slash radiosurvivor. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much. This was such a fun episode to to do today. Um, I yeah, it was it was so cool to hear about this exhibit. It was it was like wow. I just it's it's, it's unbelievable sometimes the the work that is going on behind the scenes somewhere to produce say an exhibit like this. Yeah. That, um, 
is so right up our alley. So I, I feel really lucky to have learned about it. And, um, and there's so much, you know, still to explore in the exhibit. Uh, we didn't talk much about the online version, but no. there are different timelines that they have at describing um, different touch points in in resistance radio across some of these different radio stations. And, and so that's really interesting. It's a whole other aspect of it that anybody can explore, even if you can't make it to the exhibit. Yeah, and every station, it sounds like, that they um, that they worked to to learn a little bit about and bring the sounds. Every one of those stations is a worthy topic uh, for for a future episode of radiosurvivor.com or a post. It's a really it's really neat. It, it, um, there's something about you know we we had this moment today on the episode where where we were comparing uh, doing internet radio, doing podcasting to working at a community radio station, and um, I think that that this collective of people that we just got to meet, two of them, two out of the seven people, really sort of drive home uh, the value of working together. And I, I mean, we are Radio Survivor. We do do that work together. We are a collective. Uh, Paul Reese Mandel and Matthew Lassar and you, Jennifer, and myself uh, work together to make this every week. It's just it's good to hear that other people are doing it too for the love of radio and sound. And um, yeah, these volunteer. These volunteer nonprofits and collectives are really interesting, and um, you know we've talked we've talked to a lot of historians and archivists on on Radio Survivor over the years, and it's been fun hearing about this subgenre of archivists who are, um, you know, a bit more rebellious and and working outside of institutions yeah. as well. So, um, I was. I thought it was really fun just to hear all these different connections, all these different threads of things that we've covered on Radio Survivor over the years, kind of all encapsulated in this one project. Yeah, here, here. Well, Jennifer, thank you again for for producing today's episode of Radio Survivor. Uh, If people want to learn more about the Resistance Radio, the People's Airwaves exhibit taking place at the Interference Archive or anything else, the links are... On, in the show notes today at radiosurvivor.com. We talked about a lot of really exciting things. Hopefully we don't leave anything out of the show notes. Yes, it's a lot to a lot to cover, and it will be a way for me to dive in once again when we have our full list of show notes, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> click, click on all the links and listen to I all the, the beautiful things. Uh, we here at Radio Survivor are a radio program as well as a podcast. You can subscribe to it anywhere where you get your podcasts or you can listen at radiosurvivor.com. We're also a listener and reader-supported enterprise. To learn more about the work we do and how you can help us out, go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. We have a very special project that is very much uh, a piece with today's interview where we have a goal of telling the history of how resistance movements that uh, that were active, very active in the 1990s, where those links were, which we heard a lot about on today's episode. Pretty exciting for us. Um, but we're, we were going to really dive in and tell um, as comprehensive of a history as we could possibly tell it, uh, all about how the low-power FM radio stations that, uh, that came into being, how they were uh, born out of these 
uh, 1990s resistance movements. To learn more about that project, you can go on to radiosurvivor.com slash support. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at radiosurvivor.com is our email address or find us anywhere on the social networks that you use. We're there. And uh, thank you so much for listening. My name is Eric Klein. Uh, Jennifer, thanks for today's episode. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for listening, everybody. <laughs>